What I want us to do today is to look at when there's a question in life, what the Bible actually has to say about that, uh, in particular in the book that is called Proverbs. God has inspired this. So you might call this the Bible's How Life Works section. Um, three books in the Old Testament are attributed uh, primarily to Solomon, although he didn't write all of the Proverbs, but this is one. Um, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of an interesting proverbial book um, in, in many ways, coming through a, a later chapter in Solomon's life. And then uh, uh, s certainly, um, um, thank you, couldn't think of it, Dan, thank you, the Song of Solomon, which, which is uh, an allegory in a lot of ways, but it's also um, that really goes to the heart of uh, human love. And uh, so we've got those, and I want us to particularly look at the book of Proverbs itself. Now, the first nine chapters or so in Proverbs tell us, uh, kind of give us an introduction. And when you read the first nine chapters or so in Proverbs and realize that they're, they weren't ever designed to be kind of put together, and, and yet they were, um, you gotta, you got to think of it when you begin of a wise father talking to his son or daughter. In particular, most of them are talking to a son, but they apply to, to daughters as well. And then the next 22 chapters are wise sayings in general about how life works. Now, we're going to get some, some principle to deal with here. But, but one, of the, one of the things that came out of this, and I just wanted to excerpt a little bit from my uh, journal from this summer. In, um, in this summer, uh, I did a study of uh, just devotional reading. In Psalms and Proverbs, and uh, so uh, here, here's a few of them that lifted off the page to me. So, uh, Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it's established, and by knowledge its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Isn't that just poetic and wonderful and true? Uh, Proverbs 25, beginning with verse 11. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in, a right, in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold in a, uh, is a wise uh, reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a fruitful messenger uh, to those who send him. For he refreshes the soul of his masters. Proverbs 27, 19. As, water, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of man reflects a man. Uh, I, did, I, I did this in the office a couple of weeks ago. One of my read, uh, this was on, uh, interesting, on August 6th, dear. Um, the ants are not a strong people, but they prepare their food in the summer. And I did this whole thing on, you know, on ants and what they did. So uh, here, here's a... If you're hurting for, if you're going through a period of time that's, that's particularly perplexing or even depressing, here's a good, and I, I learned this years and years ago, and I've used it in several different chapters in my life, but here's a, here is a way, or at least one means, to kind of bombard your mind and your heart with positive things, okay? Read five Psalms a day and one proverb a day, in a month, you'll be through both of those. Now, it's, it's a lot to read five 
Psalms, on most days it's not. Most days it's a page or two. When you get to 119, you may want to slow down a day, but because uh, it's several pages long, just that one chapter. But but so uh, if you read five Psalms a day, do the math. In 30 days, you'll be done, 150 Psalms, and read one proverb a day. There, there are one chapter in Proverbs. There are 31 of them. Um, so you might take one of those, or what I kind of did is, is did one one month and did the other another month. And uh, it was just so good for my mind, for my heart, you know. And it kind of bombarded me with positive, wise, good things. Okay, so let's get into the study just a little bit here. We're going to be in chapters 1 and 2. And um, uh, let's kind of look and see what we're going to... Now, Mr. Blair... If your mother hasn't totally written you out of the will yet, okay, would you read the first six verses of the book, which is Proverbs 1? <laughs> I would say there's some pathology there somewhere if that happens. Yeah, okay. Just interesting. It's poetic even the way it's laid out, isn't it? Now, let's talk, I'm, I want to give you three things to kind of think about here. And as you read the Proverbs, if you decide to take on my challenge, then um, uh, this might be helpful to you. So, um, for one of the things that you're going to find as you read is that the book of Proverbs, so I could say Proverbs are, but I'm, I'm saying Proverbs is, so it's the book of Proverbs is, intentionally practical. It's down to earth. You're not going to read... And if you think you're getting into heavy theology, you're probably misinterpreting a proverb, okay? Because I think it's, it's just simple, pethy, day-to-day -day stuff. Very practical. Uh, am I, I kind of on track, Paul? Uh, I think if you get very theological, you've missed the boat somewhere. Because they're just so down-to-earth and day-to-day. -day. One of the things I read about this is that the proverbs teach me that the Bible isn't just for Sunday. It's, it's good for me in my workaday world. Uh, you know, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. So um, kind of get that idea. Okay, so Proverbs then is also, so practical is the first word. Proverbs is intentionally provocative also. In, in the sense that they provoke me to think. They provoke me to continue learning. I remember when I finished seminary, I went through a, a two-hour oral exam after an eight-hour written exam, okay? You didn't get to do the oral exam if you didn't pass the written exam. And I sat in front of five or six guys who've forgotten more than I'll ever know in different disciplines, and they could ask me anything that had to do with any of my seminary training. And I remember at the end of it, the chairman of my committee walked me out, which is a little scary, by the way, and said... You know, I get the sense that you're going to be a lifelong learner. I get the sense you're not done. That you're going to continue to learn. I, you know what? That not all, I'm, I, was, I was happy that he thought that. But I'd also, obviously, looking back years and years on that, it has driven me a bit. Keep learning. So uh, this is provocative. It's going to help me to continue thinking, keep learning. And then it's... Uh, these two words are a little bit tied together, practical, but uh, purpose is intentionally pragmatic. Now, let me say, say this this way. The, I've heard Paul talk about this 
sitting in here one of these summer Sundays. Uh, these are not promises, okay? They're not if-then statements. You know what? That if you do this, then this has got to happen. That, and if we take them that way, we're going to going to kind of be uh, confused and maybe a little a, a little uh, disappointed at times. We all know, don't we? I think cases where. For instance, 22-6 didn't work out the way the parents wanted it to. Raise up a child the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Am I right? Are there times when, when uh, uh, there are times in my office over the years where a parent will say, well, wait a minute, God said this, but look how it's turned out. Okay, it's not an if-then. Okay? It's not an if-then. It, these are principles. They are patterns. Um, uh, so it, what I want you to, when you read these, even though they're true, they're not a guarantee of some sort. Okay? Um, uh, maybe you kind of uh, have seen cases in your life where, where Proverbs 22.6 didn't seem to work out. You want to kind of challenge God on that. Um, but the idea is it's not just, this is wisdom literature. It's not, not kind of quite a guarantee. Now, uh, what I want us to do now is to go to the second chapter. And Mr. Blair, since you're still here, because I want to get all the good out of you I can get, I want you to go to the first six verses of the second chapter, if you would, please. If I had to put a theme to this book, to these collections of this collection of wise sayings, uh, and in fact, it's implied a little bit in in the uh, little paragraph heading to chapter two. I think I would say something like: pursue wisdom, get wisdom, uh, go for wisdom. Uh, the idea here is, and I begin to think about this. Is there ever, has there ever been a time when this was more necessary? Uh, as you read the morning papers or, or listen to talk radio or whatever. You, has there ever been a time when the pursuit of wisdom is more necessary, more timely? And so the idea here, as you begin to read these passages, is I just want to pursue what's wise. And I realize often our world doesn't get it right. I need something eternal. I need something uh, that, that has uh, God's inspiration behind it. Now, as you look at those first four verses that Steve read a bit ago, notice that um, the first thought here is that uh, I need to pursue wisdom because it's precious. That's the first word that kind of goes in there. There's kind of a, a preciousness to it. What are some words that would tip you off that... that this fatherly voice is saying to you and me, uh, boy, you ought to value this. What are some tip-off words here? Apply your heart. Okay. All right. There you go. Your ear. Treasures in there twice. It occurs, I, if I remember my research, Joe P., it, recurred, it occurs in one verse as a verb, treasure this. And another one is treat it like treasure. So it's a verb and a noun in the same passage. That must mean I'm to treasure it. I'm to, to treat the word of God, treat wisdom like, like it was 
buried treasure. Uh, the words seek and search are both, both in there. Now, I'm, it's hard for me not to, not to think of when I think of pursuing wisdom, uh, seeking wisdom. It's hard for me not to remember, and I didn't put the reference to it here, but uh, to remember Solomon's quest. Remember when he first became king, he's talking to God and God gives him a blank check. You remember that? Uh, who, which one of us would not want the eternal, almighty, all-powerful God to say, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. And what did he ask for? You remember? Give me wisdom. So a lot of this is, I mean, he, he lived some of it out, at least early in his life and, and in his uh, monarchy. This idea of um, seeking uh, wisdom like it was buried treasure, searching for it, seeking it. Uh, that was kind of Solomon's quest. So I want to pursue wisdom because this is precious. Now, there's a couple other passages that we ought to read here as we, as we look. Um, uh, look. Look at verse 5. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Now, let's look at a couple of places. Uh, somebody flip back a page and read 1-7. He'll do that. 1-7. John, would you go over to James one and read verse 5. They both are talking about wisdom. James is a parallel to Proverbs in a lot of ways. Uh, a New Testament wisdom literature in some ways. Uh, lots of principle there, but also some of these wonderful proverbial things that he deals with. Now, uh, so 1-7 says what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but <coughs> wisdom and the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. All right. Now think about that for just a second, because the principle is going to be here that uh, in seeking wisdom, my search always ought to lead me to God. Uh, what does James say about that, John? So, if you look on to verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So the idea here is the source of all wisdom is God. If I'm trying to become wise and I'm trying to circumvent the Bible or circumvent the God of the Bible, I'm gonna, my, my search will end up fruitless. If we haven't found God in our search for wisdom, we failed. I uh, have two younger friends. One of them is now uh, dead. But both of these young men were incredibly smart. And both of them decided to pursue uh, a degree in philosophy. One of them was at a, one of them pursued his degree at a, at a university at the university level. The other one actually went to a very fine and uh, faith-based Christian college. And both of them lost their faith. Isn't it interesting? Because their pursuit was for wisdom, not for God. And they I, I can't tell you how many conversations I have been in with persons like that who just decided that um, uh, the smarter they got, the dumber the Bible got. 
What I'm going to tell you is, that ain't smart. Okay? The I, huh? Yeah, there's cowboy wisdom. There you go. Um, if you haven't found God in your search, you failed. If I refuse to acknowledge the God who give me my brain, who gave me my brain, then is my is the search of my brain going to be fruitful? I'm going to tell you no. Okay, there is some humility involved in this, of acknowledging that you know what. Um, I'm not as smart as God is. So if, if your search for wisdom and even for knowledge doesn't end up in leading you to God, then your, your search is actually pretty fruitless. Okay, let's, let's go another little section. Somebody read. John, can I come back to you and have you read verse 7 down through 11 from Proverbs 2? It's just, if it wasn't so true, it's beautiful to start with. But it's also true, which makes it doubly beautiful, doesn't it? Now, the idea here is, in this whole section, what I wanted you to deal with, we're going to talk about how uh, the pursuit of wisdom makes sense. Okay? Now, I'm going to get back to that in a minute, but let me illustrate it in this way. Isn't it true that in our world... We, um, we have adjusted wisdom to fit our choices. And sometimes those are bad choices. So we, we go along and we decide, okay, this is no longer true. It may be something that, that raised your parents and your parents' parents and your parents' parents' parents to be good people. But now we've decided it's not necessarily true. We've adjusted wisdom to fit our world or judged it to be unwise. And by the way, we have sowed the wind, and we've reaped the whirlwind in this if you read the papers. Okay, illustration, okay, only illustration, not judgment Judgment here. But I think it's very interesting. Ron and I were talking about this this morning. If, you, if you've read um, in, in the papers this week or, or in uh, electronic media even about... Um, the, um, the famed and, and, and very uh, sophisticated British medical journal Lancet has come out this week saying that when your cardiologist says you ought to have a little alcohol to make you feel better, okay, Lancet says, uh-uh, there's no science to that. I think that's interesting. Now, um, I, I'm not going to be judgmental on this. I'm just saying it's very interesting. Guess what Lancet has lined up with? It's lined up with the warnings from the book of Proverbs and other places that say, okay, if you're going to do it, be careful. Okay? I just find it intriguing that we've adjusted wisdom to fit our culture rather than the other way around. And these, these sayings in here are help us with that. Help us with that. So the idea here is this pursuit makes sense. Pursuing God is, is what the subject of kind of verse 6 um, uh, out of his mouth come knowledge and understanding. I'm pursuing him and his ways because they work. They make sense. They're a shield around about me. So this pursuit makes sense. It makes sense because verse 8 and 9 talk about it's morally good. 
Talks about righteousness and justice there. Making good choices about life is just a good thing for society. Wisdom will help me decide between right and wrong. Not just what feels good. Now you got to turn with me. You're in 2. Go to 14 and look at 12. Go to 14 and look at 14, 12. There are so many things that feel good in our society, and we're told that they're okay because they feel good or, you know, whatever. Uh, literally, we, we live in a society that says whatever works for you. By the way, read the first couple of chapters of the book of Judges and see how that worked out for them. Yeah, that whole chapter really takes this on about the world's way. Cindy, read 14, 12. Everybody agrees on it. It seems right. Uh, you know, CNN says it's a good thing. Fox News might even say it's a good thing. What does the Bible say? There's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death. I better anchor my life on something a little more eternal, hadn't I? I think. I think. That these principles last. They're morally good. They help me make good choices about what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. Okay, then verse 10 tells me not only is, does it make sense because it's morally good, but because the pursuit of wisdom is personally good. It's good for me personally. Generally, things work out better when I act wisely. Does that, does that sound like the cover story on Duh magazine? Okay. Duh. Generally... Things work out better for me when I, when I think and act and choose wisely. That's what the Bible teaches here. Uh, look, look at verse 10. Wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Wow. Verse 11. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. So what you, what you would look at there, what you want, I want you to see are two guards standing around about you. Military guards, if you must. Uh, compare it to verse 8. Guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. So it's talking about God doing this. And so what I recognize here is that it's God who gives me discretion and, and understanding, and they guard round about me. So, in summary, seeking wisdom just makes sense because it's good for the world and it's good for me. It's not just good for me, but it's good for everybody else. It's not just good for everybody else, but it's also good for me. It just makes sense. Let's read the last paragraph. Uh, Cindy, would you mind to read, uh, go down to 12 and read down through 19? Now, what I want us to think about here, and by the way, I want you to make your way, if you will, real quickly, over to 1 Corinthians, okay, so toward the end of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, first chapter of 1 Corinthians, we're going to get there in just a minute. Now, I, I haven't read an article about this, but I'm sure it's true. 
Uh, here's what verse 13 says. From those who leave the path of righteousness to walk in the ways of dark, darkness, that's a warning. Uh, I haven't read an article about this, but I'm sure it's getting ready to happen. You know, we've spent billions of dollars for, of map money in Oklahoma City for this new trolley system, right? How did we ever make it without it? I, okay. We had it before, we abandoned it. I'm just saying, Dan. I, I don't know. How, I, I can't wait to see how this is going to improve my life, okay? Now, what I'm, what I'm sure I'm going to read in the paper soon is that they're pulling up all that track that is messed up downtown. If you've been downtown trying to drive lately, uh, your GPS doesn't help you a lick. Because they're putting, they're messing up all the streets, putting track in. They're going to pull the track up. Did you, have you, mark my words when you read it. Because those trains will run out, run a lot better without, without a track. I mean, they'll literally run, uh, they'll run just fine, probably run faster without the track. Now, how stupid was that last statement I just made? Trains are designed to run on a track. Uh, if you walk, if you watch Thomas the Train, there is, there is one episode where he gets free from the track and he says, I'm free, I'm free. Couldn't move at all. Because a train without a track is ineffective. Isn't it interesting that we think that God's wisdom is restricted sometimes? This section says, you know what? You need a track to run on. Even the Oklahoma City trolley system needs a track to run on. Okay? By the way, don't send me ugly email this week but if, if you're a trolley fan, okay? All right? I, do, I just can't wait to see how this is going to make my life that much better. Okay? Now, so the idea is God's wisdom... The world sees as restrictive. But what the Bible says is, let me give you a track to run on. It'll be a lot more efficient. You look like a guy who is a trolley fan. Uh, okay, no, I'm just, you got that grin on your face. <laughs> Skip, I'm like my recently deceased brother-in-law. I'd rather run my ATV down the, down the main street of my little town right? But that's not how it's designed to be. There are some, there are some, there's a track to run on, and that's the Word of God for me, the wisdom of God. Now, did you make your way to 1 Corinthians 1? I want you to catch this. Notice what is called, or more particularly, whom is called the wisdom of God. Look at verse 24. But to those who are, who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Who is called the wisdom of God? Christ. Jesus himself. Christ is wisdom. He's called here the wisdom of God. Now, without him, you might become smart. But I don't think you'll ever become really wise. Is that a fair statement? Without Jesus, who the Bible calls wisdom embodied. The wisdom of God. He called, Paul calls Jesus the wisdom of God here. 
without him, you might get smart. Can I, I would go as far as to say, you might even have a little bit of horse sense, Troy. Maybe a lot of horse sense. But as far as eternal, enduring, useful, biblical wisdom, you're going to miss it. Look at verse 30. Same chapter, verse 30. What does it say? It says, But by his doing, that's capital H, talking about Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So the idea here is that the pursuit of wisdom starts with the pursuit of Jesus. Can I go one step further and turn that on its head? The truth is, I've got to accept his pursuit of me. Because he's been pursuing you ever since the second you began to draw breath. And he will till your last breath. met a guy named Doug years ago. It was in the old building. And um, Doug was a guy who... Um, <laughs> He wouldn't mind me telling this story, by the way. Doug came in because um, his wife worked in our nursery school, and he wanted to play softball on the church softball team, and you had to come to church. He was very creative, incredibly smart. He was a graphic artist and did some amazing stuff. But he didn't know Jesus and wasn't interested. So I invited Doug to a Bible study I was leading, which I still lead. Uh, in those days, it, it was mostly guys whom I either knew, didn't know Jesus, or I just didn't know. And I invited Doug, because I knew. He had admitted to me, I don't have really much use for this, but I want to play ball. So, so now, Ellie, imagine the kind of guys that started coming to that. And here's this young guy. He's a lot younger than me. Got little bitty kids. He's incredibly smart and very critical. So he lands in my office one day with his Bible and a thousand post-it notes. Okay? And for about two hours, he sat across my desk and said, Yeah, but what about this? That can't be true. And I would say, Okay, Doug, let's talk about it this way. What, what do you think? Okay. Well, okay, but what about this one? And he'd go to the next. I mean, for two hours. I'm, I'm, no exaggeration. There were a hundred post-it notes in, his, in this Bible that I had given him. Okay. By the end of that two hours, I just kind of stopped the flow of conversation. And I said, Doug, you realize that, it, that coming to Christ always involves faith. A bit of a leap. Would you agree with me that your leap is shorter than it was two hours ago? <laughs> and he looked at me and kind of grinned and he said, you know, you're right. He prayed to receive Christ in my office that day. The next Tuesday morning, it was amazing to me that shift in his thinking. Stuff that he would have taken me on uh, about a week before. Now it was like, you know, this really makes sense to me. What happened? Did he get smarter? He got wiser. Because Christ had pursued him. And won the pursuit. It'll never be fruitless. Can I tell you that? 
I want to live as a man of wisdom. And the only way I can do that, that I know of, is to pursue God's Son as He pursues me.